This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about the the rest of Acts 25 and the beginning of Acts 26, so let's take a closer look. So Paul has found himself, at this point through our journey of the book of Acts, Paul has found himself in quite a peculiar situation where he's navigating for years, literal years at this point. He's been caught up in this, he's been a, a pawn between the Jewish institution and the Roman Empire. Yep. Because the Jews want to kill him, but they don't have any charges. Paul played his Roman citizen card and has been left in limbo for literal years. Yeah. Um, while he is doing this, he has escalate, escalated from the tribune, which is just a very local official, to the governor. And most recently, Paul has asked the governor to send him to the emperor. Mm-hmm. That's where he wants to go. Because the new governor, Festus, comes in and says, Hey, you want me to do this trial down in Jerusalem? And because the Jews asked for that because they were going to kill him. And Paul says, nope, nope, I want to go to the emperor. And so Festus is now like, I don't know what to do with this guy yep. that I'm about to send to the emperor. Um, I don't know what to tell him because they don't have any real charges against this guy. But we've been holding him when the last governor was here for a couple years. Yeah. I got no idea what I'm about to do. And so... His buddy King Agrippa rolls up through town, and he goes, "Hey, yo, Grip, let me talk to you about this." Hey, yo, Grip, let me talk to you about this. This is wild, man. You will not believe this story. And he says, "Do you?" He Festus asks him, "Do you want to sit on this? Do you want to sit in on this? Like, do you want to have a hearing on this so that I have something to tell?" And he's like. Yeah, we'll hear it. Grip's like, yeah, we got this. So picking up 25-23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with the great with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. It's this great big thing, right? Hoorah. Then Festus gave the order, and Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all here present with you, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish community petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving of death. Let me pause here. Uh, This is going to be a very quick side note about religious trauma because it happened to me this morning when I was prepping for this. Um, I am literally a three-time trained over pastor. Mm. with focuses on Bible, theology, languages, interpretation, hermeneutics, all of those things. Yep. I am reading this story, this entire, and this is why I told the whole journey of where Paul has been, is because I'm reading this as a parallel storytelling of Jesus. There are so many things that are popping off for me, but I can't really find a lot of commentators that are commenting on it the way that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about it the way that I am. And I literally was sitting right over there where you are, uh, reading and prepping for this this morning. 
and was like having trigger traumas because I was like, well, you're just isogeating. You're just isogeating. You're, just, oh, you're yeah. reading into the text. You're just creating that. You're putting that in there. I was like, nah, screw religious trauma. Sorry, friends. Sorry for those of you that are like me that have it. Um, but anyways, this is, the, this is like a, a similar storytelling of the Jesus trials. Mm. It's a much larger uh, explanation through Paul's life. But, and I think it's happening this way. I don't think like Luke's making it up. But I think Luke is an artful storyteller through, yeah. his, through his work. And I think he is paralleling these side by side because it's the culmination. Um, of the book of Acts. Acts ends in 28, and it's the end of this journey of this trial. Yeah. Um, it is a Christ-like, and Festus says, I can't find him to be deserving of death. Mm. That should be that should be like popping off at you. Mm. Like that is screaming something, that the Jews want to kill him, want to kill him and yet he is not deserving of death and his government is having to protect him yeah i found that he had done nothing wrong deserving of death and when he appealed to his imperial majesty i declared to send him but i have nothing definite to write to our sovereign about him Therefore, I have brought him before all of you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner without indicating the charges against him. Okay? So this is Festus's prisoner. Mm -hmm. He's seeking counsel from this board, this like other officials, and notably King Agrippa is there. But he's already declared that he's going to send him to the governor. He's just looking for information. So this is where, this is the landscape Paul finds himself in. Picking up in 26, Grip said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began to defend himself. Paul is such a, Paul's an extra AF, bro. He's like me. He stretched out his hand. This is this, this big, powerful moment, right? Uh, and it is. It is a big, powerful moment because Paul is about to tell a very wild story. You know how you always hear people say there are two sides to every story? Golly, we've heard the Jewish side to this story a number of times. Yeah. And it's all nonsense. They really are not charging him with anything. And we've heard Paul's version of this story a number of times. Yeah. But Paul's about to tell the most complete story of his life. And I want you to hear this. I'm fixing to read and monologue for a very long time. Um, but I, I want you to hear what Paul chooses to say in this moment. Beginning in verse 2. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, because you are especially familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg of you to listen to me patiently. All of the Jews know my way of life from my youth, a life spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that I have belonged to the strictest sect of our religion and lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial, 
on account of my hope in the promise made by God to our ancestors, a promise that our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night. It is for this hope, Your Excellency, that I am accused by the Jews. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things against the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is what I did in Jerusalem with authority received from the chief priests. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison, but I also cast my vote against them when they were being condemned to death. By punishing them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And since I was so furiously enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. Now I'm going to pause there. That's a lot of information that Paul just told you about his life. Clayton, what did you hear? I heard a, a lot of trying to just be honest. Right? Like, Paul's not feeding anybody any, any BS. He admits to all the things that he's done that would be worthy of death. That they're not upset with. That they're not upset with. That's right. Those are the things he's not upset with. Those are the things they gave him authority to do. Mm -hmm. Picking up in 12. With this in mind, I was traveling to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. When at midday along the road, your excellency, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and my companions. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It hurts you to kick against the goads? I asked, who are you, Lord? The Lord answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you to serve and testify to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Clayton, what did you hear? Um, I heard a more detailed version of what happened on the, the road to Damascus. You heard a very different mm. version of what happened on the road to Damascus. Yeah, I went and checked it. You hear a similar first line mm -hmm. and middle line. Mm -hmm. Um. But there's a lot that Paul adds here. Mm -hmm. This is a very detailed version of what all these years later, Paul is now remembering as that moment. Mm -hmm. Because here's what happens, and this is true about any memory. A memory will happen. Mm -hmm. But you will continue to have that memory, if it's a monumental memory in your head, you will continue to have it as a reference point as you go throughout your life. Sure. And so you will naturally begin to make up both as you've interpreted and lived according to that memory and how it's progressed you in that journey. You will begin to meld those together as if they're the same story. Mm -hmm. They're clearly not. But we all do this. Right. We all do this with anchor memories. Yeah. Paul is just looking at 
that memory through the context of where he's currently at in life and and what that things. moment meant to him yeah. and what it was going to do for him yeah verse 19 after that king agrippa i was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in damascus then in jerusalem and throughout the countryside of Judea and also to the Gentiles, excuse me, that they should repent and turn to God and do deeds consistent with repentance. I'm not going to preach yet. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had help from God, and so I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Clayton, what did you hear? The after that is like a is now Paul's turning point. Um, I got to this point. I did some really heinous, really terrible things. I got to this point with Jesus. And after that, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, which I think is funny that he uses that word heavenly vision or that term heavenly vision. Well, but, what, what, what else would you call that conversion experience? Yeah, uh, because he really thinks he met the risen Jesus yeah. in that moment. But but like it it's kind of connecting to what we're talking about on practicing presence. Mm. Right? The that you can live in a state of divine sight. Yeah. Um but it, well it also blinded him. <laughs> it did also blind him. Yeah. That's also true. Um But after all of that, off of all the heinous things. Now I'm starting to do the thing that God wants actually wants me to do, and which now is, they want to kill me. Which is, and this is what he says, I did it to them and also to the Gentiles mm. that they should repent and turn to God and do deeds consistent with repentance. Yeah. That's the, that's the word, mm -hmm. repentance. Like, that's what we're all doing. That's what the law is, right? That's how Paul interprets the law, is this measuring stick of repentance um, that we can never measure up to. And that's why we have Jesus. Like, this all makes total sense for Paul. He's encouraging goodness. They're encouraging destruction. Yeah. He's encouraging life and liberation. They're encouraging death and oppression. I want you to see this. 24. Now I'm going to get preachy. While he was making this defense, Festus exclaimed. Now remember, this is Festus's court, Festus's prisoner. King Agrippa is here as an advisor, but this is Festus's court. Paul has been speaking to King Agrippa. Festus now goes, You are out of your mind, Paul. You have lost it, bro. There is absolutely no way any of this can be real. Mm. 
Too much learning is driving you insane. <laughs> Clayton, what do you hear? Uh, well, first of all, I hear um, censorship in many ways, in more ways than one. Um, but also, Cohen. I think too much, too much learning is driving you insane. Dead. I'm dead. <laughs> as soon as you said my name, I knew that's what you were going to say. Well, but, but okay, no, for real though. Religious trauma, right? Uh -huh. I know for a fact you heard that more times than one. Yeah. Um, in like the more conservative traditions. Yep. yep that yep. all seminary has done or the the specific seminaries that you chose. Well, the, there is a like um like a diatribe. Not mm. a diatribe. There's a like a an old saying that says if you go to seminary, your faith will end up in a cemetery. Yeah, uh, and it is kind of like that sometimes, but it's because but, you're at you begin to ask questions right. that you weren't allowed to before, and unfortunately, the way some of our faith traditions are built is that if you don't ever get, if you're never allowed to pull a thread and ask a question, mm -hmm. when you pull one, the whole thing unravels. Sure, and that's what it was for me. The thing that I think is so beautiful is that it it wasn't something I was willing to let them take from me. Yeah. I was going to find a way for this to continue to exist because it is the most beautiful story um, of love and religion and faith tradition. I think it communicates the most beauty in the world, all of those things. But the Festus thinks that Paul has learned too much and, and he now has literally lost his mind. Yeah. Because he cannot believe this story that Paul is telling. And here's what we know, is it's just simply true. Mm -hmm. So, thank you. Yes, too much learning has driven me insane. Verse 25, but Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking the sober truth. Indeed, the king knows about these things, and to him I speak freely. For I am certain that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this was not done in a corner. He's setting up Grip, right? All right. So Grip's been set up. Verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Hmm. Agrippa said to Paul, are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? Okay. Okay. So Paul set him up. Paul set him up from the beginning, mm -hmm. right? Because he's like, um, in verse 2, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am to make my defense today because all the accusations of the Jews, against all the accusations of the Jews, because you are especially familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Paul walked into this moment feeling like he'd been given some kind of gift. Remember, I've kind of carried this faith metaphor throughout this uncertainty of Paul's time. This is what it means to have faith. 
to be comfortable in circumstances that that you know that God will protect you in those circumstances and give you an opportunity to shine. Mm-hmm. That there will be a gift, a miraculous mm-hmm. gift where God has a moment of intervention and you have to be ready to seize your moment. Paul saw this as his opportunity and set King Agrippa up the whole time. He did it. And I think Agrippa asked him a great question, a question that I felt was very pertinent to my early years of faith. Are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? I remember early on in my years of faith, I thought faith was exactly that journey. You having this divine knowledge that you had to go persuade as many people Mm. into believing so that they could be saved. I think King Agrippa asked him a very, very important question for us today. And this is what he says. Verse 29, Paul replied, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul didn't say, yeah, I'm using objective truth and apologetics to prove this. Paul said, nope, I'm praying to God. I'm praying to God that all of you, that you and all of you might become like me, that you might believe this message of love and grace and liberation embodied in, I want you all to be just like me, except for these chains. Paul will frequently talk about death and sin as bondage, as chains holding us down, holding us captive. I think you see in this moment, this one single verse, if you were going to ask me, who is Paul the apostle? It is that man. Paul the apostle is the man that if you were going to embody his life and heart, in one word or in one sentence, it would be this verse. Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except for these chains. Because we all got chains. The question is just what are they? We all got bondage and things we're running from that we're battling with, things we haven't answered to. We all have chains. I want all of you to be like me, except for these chains. Verse 30. Then the king got up, and with him the governor and Bernice and those who had been seated with them. And as they were leaving, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Grip said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to the emperor. Paul was given a chance at freedom, at literal freedom, that these chains would go away if he would have just went and sat under a trial in Jerusalem under Festus. But the Jews would have killed him 
if he would have done that. Paul literally embodies a simple truth that I think is easily overlooked today. Um, Sometimes liberation doesn't look exactly like what someone might define it as. Paul sits in a world where if he were to be a liberated man, a freed captive, his life would end. Mm -hmm. And instead, Paul has persisted on a journey in which he, I'm sure, wrote a lot of letters and was a very influential leader in the Christian community for years. And his message and impact in that has persisted for thousands of years to the fact that we, all these years later, are still talking about him and looking at him as a source of influence and inspiration. Liberation doesn't always look the way you might define it. And so what I might say is I might say to all of us people of privilege, us Festuses and King Agrippas of the contemporary world, not in wealth or status or anything, but if I can continue my metaphor, us people of privilege, liberation doesn't only look like getting out of chains. Mm. Liberation is a much larger picture that there are things at play that are happening in the culture that you don't have control over. Liberation looks a whole lot bigger than just getting out of chains.